But today is all about the subject of tests. Yes, that's joyful subject of tests, where God tests us. We're going to see in this chapter uh, in my Bible entitled Joseph and Potiphar's Wife, that's his boss's wife, we're going to see here not one test, not even two, but three. Often people, when they think of this chapter, they think of it as one test, one big temptation, but actually there's three here that we're going to touch upon. And I guess it's worth saying that being a Christian means that you will inevitably be tested by God. You will inevitably be tested by God. I've, as I've meditated on Genesis 39 this last couple of weeks, I've actually found myself praying different prayers for my daughters, Daisy and Lily, who are four and two. I pray for them, I think, every day. And I found myself praying less about, Lord, would you give them nice stuff, you know, and a blessing. Of course, I pray that a lot. But I've also found myself, as I've realized that this wonderful young man, Joseph, who did everything right, nevertheless was severely tested by God, I found myself, therefore, praying, Lord, when you test them, Lord, let them do well. When it happens, not if, but when it happens, Lord, let them do well. Lord, when externally the pressures are real, let internally them do well. My prayers have changed. You see, the reason that God does inevitably bring tests our way is at least twofold. Number one is because it changes us. It changes us. When you are tested by God, it will change you more than when you are blessed by God. Secondly, it's because actually, frankly, his purposes, his grand, wonderful cosmic purposes are bigger than our comfort. Don't, don't miss this, guys. This is, seri- this is important. His great purposes are bigger than your or my comfort, which will mean that even when you do everything right, as Joseph does, he still got tested. Because God was going to allow those tests ultimately to fulfill his purposes. So tests are inevitable. Great, I hear you say. But doing well in tests is not inevitable. That's the challenge. You see, you can actually not even realize that tests are going on in your life. Or you can know a test is happening and frankly just hate it. And not like the pain and think, I don't want this pain in my life and I'm going to run away. So the challenge we have today is twofold. Is Number one to understand the nature of tests. Say the nature of tests. The nature of tests. What they actually look like. Because you will be going through tests, some of you now, and not actually even realise that they are tests. The nature of tests. But then secondly, the nature of the victory over tests. Say the nature of the victory. The nature of the victory. Because it's one thing seeing a test in your life as what it is, as a test. But then it's secondly then going, well, how do I deal with it, Tom? How do I actually make sure that it does its work in me that God wants it to? So today, us looking briefly at the life of Joseph, we're going to see that he has three tests that he goes through and he passes brilliantly well. Can I have a woohoo? Woohoo! Because when I say tests, we all look terribly serious, as we understandably do, but the heart of God, we have to get this right at the beginning, with Joseph and with you, is when he tests us, he does it as a loving father or mother disciplines or tests their children, not because they want them to fail, but because he wants us to grow through it, And he wants to achieve his bigger purposes through it. So we have to look at these tests, these three tests. And with each test, we're going to look at the two elements. The nature of the test, what it looks like. And then secondly, the nature of the victory. How did Joseph, how did he do so brilliantly well with each of these three tests? Number one then, verse one, 
Joseph had been brought down to Egypt and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had brought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him down there. The Lord was with Joseph and he became a successful man and he was in the house of his Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him and he made him overseer of his house And put him in charge of all that he had. And from the time that he had made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in house and in field. And so he left all that he had in Joseph's charge. And because of him, he had no concern about anything apart from the food he ate. I like that last touch. (laughs) Lord, come now by your spirit. Let your word live. Change us. Amen. Amen. So this first test then, if you're writing notes, the test of the present. I don't mean what you get at Christmas. I mean the challenge to live not in the past and not in the future, but to live in the present. What do I mean by that? Now, Joseph, you see, he could have been a guy that would have been, could have been devastated by the events that had happened in his life. Last week we heard his brothers, okay, yes, he wasn't the wisest of guys. He told them about a dream he had about everyone bowing down to him. Not the wisest thing. However, his brothers outrageously, filled with jealousy, filled with hatred, throw him in a pit. Implicit, therefore, is we don't care about this guy. We're not just giving you the cold shoulder. We're hoping you're going to die. Now, this is a serious, serious thing we have to realize here. Most of us have probably got brothers or sisters and, and most of us may have a bit of a mixed relationship with our brothers and sisters, but most of us would not be able to say that we've actually had effectively an execution attempt on our lives from our own brothers or sisters. This is what Joseph, a young man, this is what has happened to him very recently. And he's been rescued by these Ishmaelites who are selling him into slavery. So he's been tr- attempted to be killed and now he's a slave. The temptation for him to be internally devastated by what God has allowed to happen to him would have been huge. And yet we read here this incredible word here in verse 2, and yet he became a successful man. Now that Hebrew word there is not, doesn't mean successful in a, in a kind of flashy sense. You know, we can sometimes think successful as in like Alan Sugar and think, hmm, that's not, you know, what, what do you mean, Tom? In Isaiah 53 verse 10, it says about Jesus dying on a cross, it says that the will of the Lord prospered in his hands. Or the same word there, it, he was successful. So the image there is anything but of glamour. It's actually talking about the fact that Jesus and Joseph here, something to, do with, something to do with shine or to do with our external um, prosperity in that sense, is to do with achievement. He was achieving what God wanted him to achieve. He was a successful man. He could have grown incredibly bitter. He could have lived in the future. But he lived in the present. And as a result, he became a successful man. This is not a small issue. He became successful and he resisted the temptation to be shaped by these awful events that happened. And we see, therefore, that he is given huge responsibilities. And it says here that his boss, Potiphar, gave him everything. Now, if you're in any way in a position of leadership, perhaps you're, you've got people who work with you or kind of for you... Th- The whole thing of control, actually letting people have control, is the ultimate sign that you trust them, okay? So I can be a control freak, and at times for me, yes, thank you, Hugh, uh, at times for me, 
to actually entrust the other staff are really doing it as I would want them to do it is so hard because I'm a secret control freak. So this is a big deal. Potiphar's like, this guy is a model employee. He can have control of everything, apart from my food. Wise man. You know, he obviously a little bit predictor about his grub, but that's fine. He's saying, I so trust this guy. Now, let me just say at the beginning, this guy is not a chief exec. He's not a senior designer for Comic Relief, as great as that is, as we'll hear later. He's a slave. He's not got a lowly job. He's got the worst job of all. So listen, don't miss this. This series is not just about if you happen to be the top 1%, top gun in your field, then this is relevant for you. No, no, this is about influence and integrity, even if you've got the crummiest job in the world's eyes that is going. Joseph here, he lived in the present, and so he was successful. So we've got to ask ourselves the question, okay, that's the temptation. The nature of the test was to either live in the past and grow bitter or to live dreamily in the future and live for the day when he wasn't a slave as he had these great dreams. How did he live in the present? I hear you cry. Let me suggest a couple of points. The first of all, then, he refused to live in the, in the past. He just refused it. So easy as Christians to live with that if only attitude. If only that person hadn't spoke to me in that way. I'll never forget it, the way they treated me. Joseph so could have got into that mindset. Or the question of why? Why, God, did this thing happen to me? Why did it happen, Lord? Until you give me an answer, I'm going to hold on to this bitterness. It's so subtle, and yet it can creep into our souls. But the brutal truth is this. God is a God of great love, but... When you read the Bible, he uses men and women. And when they are used by him, so often tough things do happen to them. And frankly, he doesn't always explain why. He just doesn't because he's God. And we have to learn at times to, as hard as it is, to lay it down. So, Lord, I wish I knew why. And I'll ask you on that day when I meet you. But I'm not going to let this eat me up. I've got to lay it down. And this is what Joseph did. He refused to live defined by the really unjust treatment that he'd had. So how did he do it, Tom? How did he actually do that? Terry Virgo gives three steps that are true for Joseph and are true for us. First of all, he made a deliberate decision to forgive. He made a deliberate decision to forgive. You see, if you're a Christian here today, you have a grace as a child of God who has tasted forgiveness to be able to extend forgiveness. You don't actually ultimately need prayer or a special encounter. Humbly, but confidently, God would say through his word, if you're a Christian, we have to forgive. If not for our sake, if not for anything else. Joseph so could have allowed the bitterness, the mistreatment he'd had, to fester in his heart, but he obviously just chose to forgive. In the Bible, there's a very famous story that I believe was read out earlier. I was taking my daughter to crash about a parable of a king. I had no idea this was, that Jeff was going to bring this. God wants this to be heard. About a king, as you heard earlier, who forgave a guy a great debt graciously. And then that servant or that, that person who'd received the great uh, forgiveness then quibbled about a much smaller debt. And when the king heard about it, he was outraged. And I know this is hard when we are bruised, when we feel hurt by things. But God lovingly says, you can forgive. 
And the way is to dwell on the gospel, is to make it your life's pursuit that if you're 150 or whether you're 15, is you never stop saying, Lord, show me the gospel. Show me the weight of my sin that was, was an offence against you. And you lovingly, stunningly, scandalously forgave me. We can forgive. He deliberately made a decision to forgive. As Terry Virgo says, this should be our strong suit. It should be perhaps above everything that as Christian, Christians we are quick to forgive. We are those that are quick to say, it's okay, I forgive you. That should be how we are. And this is what Joseph was like. He made a deliberate decision to forgive. That's why he became successful. He didn't allow himself to be defined by the difficult things, undoubtedly, that he'd experienced. He just drew a line in the sand. But then secondly, we maintain that and maintain an attitude or a stance of faith. You couple the deliberate decision with an ongoing daily decision of the heart and soul to say, Lord, Romans 8, 28 says this. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for the good. Now that promise is a massive promise and it's a massively challenging promise to believe. All things? Really, Lord? Really all things work together? Have we just heard that or do we mix it with faith? Because Joseph, although it wasn't even written by then, he was a man who was a Romans 8.28 guy. He knew that, Lord, if I'm going to survive this test and survive this life, I've got to somehow believe that you are good. And even though these things are difficult and are challenging, nevertheless, I'm going to believe and trust that all things work together for the good. All things This is our great challenge. This is a challenge that God wants us to be strong in. Because if we get this into our souls, we become a people who are like Paul, even when he's in jail, scandalously, potentially facing death. What's he doing in Acts? It says in the middle of the night, he's singing his heart out. Because he had an attitude of faith. He was potentially facing death, incarcerated unfairly, and yet there was something in him that had Romans 8.28 in him. And Joseph had this, and some of you, even as I'm saying this, thinking, Tom, I can't do that. You can. God's grace, as we've been singing, your grace is available. I don't mean grace that you say when you say your prayers. I'm talking about God's supernatural empowerment to enable the impossible, which is to believe even when those things come our way. And then thirdly, what happens is we shine like stars. Philippians 2.14 says, do everything without grumbling or complaining. And then in a crooked and depraved generation, you will shine like lights, or as it said in the NIV, shine like stars. Who here wants to shine for Jesus? Yeah. Many of you haven't put your hands up. Wise people, you know why. Because when we say shine, we say, we think power, evangelism, you know, great building projects of glory or whatever. Jesus said, yeah, those things are good, but do everything. Say everything. Everything, everything without grumbling or complaining. It's a straight command of God. As you make a deliberate decision to forgive, maintain a stance of faith, you become a shiny person. Joseph was shining for God in this lowly job. He was shining out, not grumbling. Again, this world, there's, there's two languages. There's the language of the world and there's the language of Zion. 
as the Bible says. Zion means really, he's talking here about the fact that the people of God are those whose language is not a language of complaint. It's not a language like this nation, which is absolutely filled with everything's always wrong. Complain, complain, complain. And as the people of God, as the church, we need to be those who actually understand that God wants us to become those who shine for him. And the way that we do that is in that quiet and yet stunning way. And let's apply it to our workplaces, in our workplaces, where we do everything without grumbling or complaining. So he refused to live in the past, but he also refused to live in the future. You see, this was a guy with massive, massive dreams, wasn't it? He had these amazing dreams about a whole nation kind of, you know, and these people bowing down to him. And he could have been so tempted, just picture this man here, to think, I'm in this rubbish job, I'm a slave, I'm just going to, I'm just going to bide my time until I'm doing something worthy of me. It would have been so tempting for him to think, I will just at some point be not doing this and I'm just going to live for that time. Well, he was felt restricted. He would have felt very restricted and we can feel restricted in our lives. Some of us have got small kids and you can think, when, when my kids are grown up, then I'll kind of get back to God and church and all that stuff because I've just got to survive. And actually, no, no, he was fruitful in the season even when it was restrictive. For some of us who've got manic jobs, and we can think, oh, Tom, look, when my job is less manic, and then I'll think about, no, no, actually he was fruitful, even in the restrictive, difficult season. God made him fruitful. Okay, some of you might think, when I leave home, then I'll be free, and then I can really think about God. The list goes on, but the point is, is that he was in, at a human level, a restricted and difficult and hemmed in possession, position that many of us can feel. And yet he was fruitful. He was fruitful. He knew, as it says here, four times in this one chapter, that the Lord was with him. Do you know that's the only time it says it in the whole of his life? If you read all of the account in Genesis, it doesn't say it anywhere else. And it says it four times in one chapter. Why? Because it was this most intense period of testing in his life. And the key was to know the Lord is with me. The Lord's with me. I'm not going to just rule out this, this time in my life as just a, a waiting period until I'm doing the real thing. Sometimes people can think, when I'm full time for church, you know, then I'll be fruitful. No. God says, no, no, I want you to be fruitful now. It's not an accident where you are. His boss loved him. It, does your boss love you? Does your boss think, this person brings great blessing wherever they are? I love the fact that one primary school, DPS, it started a few years ago with one or two employees being from the church, and then another, and then another, and then another, and another. The head teacher spotted something in these men and women and said, this is, I want more of these guys and women here. I want them. There's something here. That's Joseph blessing. You see, in Genesis 12, 12, sorry, in Genesis 12, 2, it said that the Lord said, I will bless you, Abraham, who was this guy's great-grandfather, so that you will be a blessing. That actually is the fundamental point of the Bible that the church and individual Christians in their workplaces and environments should be bringers of blessing. As we receive, as the Lord is with us, so we bless those around us. He was fruitful, guys, in this difficult, rubbish situation. Are we fruitful or are we flippant? Are we careful with our time? King David was careful tending the sheep and therefore God promoted him to look after the whole shepherd, the whole nation. Are we those that are 
careful with our time? Are we those that are diligently doing it, knowing that Luke 16 says, if you're faithful with a little, I will entrust you with great amounts. This was a restrictive period for him, but it was a training period, a time when suddenly God would release him into great authority as effectively the prime minister. He didn't just see it as this like, mm, just a nowheresville job. No, no, he saw this as the place that God had called him. And that is our calling. And it's a wonderful calling, isn't it? It's a wonderful, to see your Monday morning, not, you might be a student, you might be a mum, you might be a, a businessman, whatever it is, is irrelevant that God sovereignly, providentially has put you there. And our attitude should be, Lord, I want to shine. I want to be a bringer of blessing. I don't want to live in the past if tough things have happened, I don't want to live wistfully in the future when I've got a proper or a better job. No, no, Lord, you're in control. And I want to live slap bang in the present. Many of you will know that last week we announced we might be buying a building. And at one of the prayer meetings about it, the, the prophecy came that it was a time of almost growing up. And that as a church, we're 21 years old. And that just as when you were 21 in, the, in years gone by, you got given a key to your house. And it was a sign of great responsibility. And God was saying, I'm going to entrust you with this. Take it seriously. I believe that's because we're beginning to learn to live in the present. Not in the past or wistfully in the future, but as a church even, being faithful. So, first test then, living in the present. Second test, though, the obvious one we all know, the test of the pleasure. Let's read on. Verse 6. Now, Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. And after a time, his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, Behold, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house, and he has put everything that he has in my charge. He is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except yourself, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And as she spoke to Joseph day after day, he would not listen to her, to lie beside her or to be with her. But one day when he went into the house to do his work and none of the men of the house were in the house, she caught him by his garment saying, lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and got out of the house. And as soon as she saw that he had left the garment in her hand and had fled out of the house, she called to the men of the household and said to them, see, he has brought among us a Hebrew to laugh at us. He came in to lie with me and I cried out with a loud voice. And as soon as he heard that, I lifted up my voice and cried out. He left his garment beside me and fled and got out of the house. Then she laid up his garment by her until his master came home. And she told him the same story, saying, The Hebrew servant among you, uh, whom you have brought among us came in to laugh at me. But as soon as I lifted up my voice and cried, he left his garment beside me and fled out of the house. Suddenly, when this young man is doing superbly well, suddenly this Frankly, a wicked woman appears. Potiphar's wife, we don't know her name. Proverbs 5, 6 and 7 are almost entirely dedicated to the warnings of this. Go and look at them. The deceitful and wicked temptress who comes to tempt a man into doing something wrong. And of course, we can reverse that with the same with men who tempt women. And there's a few uh, elements of this temptation. The nature of it, I just want to quickly point out. First of all, look how sudden it is. Suddenly, she's there. It's amazing how sexual temptation can just suddenly come. A friend of mine who leads a church had a, a woman in his church just appear in his office, shut the door and opened up her coat and she was stark naked. And she just said, I've always found you attractive. No one need know. By the grace of God, this guy did brilliantly well and resisted her and got rid of her. 
it can come so quickly. And it might not be as dramatic as that. I know when I became a Christian 12 years ago, suddenly that same summer, mysteriously, two very attractive girls who are non-Christians, but very nice, suddenly had the desire to go out with me. And it was just a bit of a strange coincidence. Suddenly, I had to actually say, look, I'm really sorry, but this isn't going to work right now. I've just, you know, I've, there's big stuff happening in my life. It wasn't a coincidence. We have a real enemy. Don't be asleep on this one. It was sudden. It was also sustained. Verse 10, day after day. Friends, we can feel good if we resist temptation once. We can feel good if we do it twice. That's not the challenge. The challenge is to endure. The challenge is we live in a hostile world. If you're a Christian, the value system of this world is polar opposite. We live in a highly sexualized nation. Pornography is freely available. I was watching a children's program a few weeks ago, and even something appeared on that that was totally inappropriate, and I jumped and turned it off. It's everywhere. And if you're a Christian here today, without being pious, it's just a sense of this is a calling on you to be aware of this. It is sustained. And Joseph here, he knows this and he endures day after day. It's also subtle. It says here, he says, he would not listen to her, lie beside her or be with her. This is huge. I know friends who are going out with uh, a, a girl and when it comes to the evening, rather than actually going and staying at someone else's house, they will not sleep with her. These are Christian people, but they'll stay in the same bedroom. I've heard it and I just think, that is utterly insane. It is the total opposite of what Joseph is saying here. He would not be even near her. Friends, don't be naive. His strength was not in resisting temptation. It was in fleeing from temptation. That's the strong element. We can all be really enjoying the flirtation at work. Oh, well, I'm not doing anything. Don't be deceived. Don't be deceived. Don't go anywhere near it. Anywhere near it. It was very subtle. And it was secret. Young man may never get married. This is my boss's wife. Who's here to see? I kind of have to do it. She could even have me executed. She's in that position of power. And yet we see here him do so well. Some of you, you travel a lot and therefore you're isolated a lot. Some of you have to work late a lot. Some of you live alone. Some of you don't like the idea of people speaking into your life and mentoring you because... There's that kind of secret element of your life you're used to and that privacy thing. Just be so careful. I say that with humble, humble, but I, I want to exhort you on that. My dad, who's 60 a few weeks ago, rang me up and just said, son, I did what you finally asked me. I uh, asked an ex-elder friend if I could be accountable to him. And he got back to me today and said, yeah, I'm going to ask you some really tough questions. I thought, Hallelujah. He's 60 and he is, he is positioning himself in a place of security because it was secret. Don't be deceived. Privacy doesn't exist. Okay, as we're going to see. The, see, the nature of his victory was very simple. It was three things. He was thankful, he was blunt, and he feared God. First of all, he was thankful. The opposite of Eve. Do you notice what he says? He says, he's given me, all, he's given me everything apart from you. Why would I do that to him? He was thankful. When we are not thankful for the blessings in our life, we are incredibly vulnerable. If you get tired in your life because your life is busy, you can become less thankful and more vulnerable. I dealt with one couple a little while ago whose unfortunate marriage has ended in divorce. And the key thing really was their lives were so crazy, so busy, 
One of them felt neglected and therefore felt more justified in having an affair. And the point is this, is actually it could have been avoided. It could have been avoided. Is that that person in some ways was kind of, it was understandable that they wanted more attention. But it was because that person then felt ungrateful and unthankful for all the other things that were present. And so they felt justified in finding that attention in that one place. Friends, we have to maintain an attitude of thankfulness. I really mean that. You know, there's that old phrase, isn't there? Count your blessings day by day, one by one. It's spiritual warfare. If we slip, particularly us, in a place like Canterbury, which is so blessed, so incredibly, in so many ways, absolutely, he was thankful. And it meant when the darts came up, he said, no, I yes, there's this one thing that has been not, that I haven't got. Yes, okay, I haven't got a partner at the moment. And I'd love to just have another partner, but I'm not going to allow that seed of bitterness to get in and turn my heart against God. He's given me all these other things and he's enough for me. He was thankful. He was also blunt. He calls it wickedness. Do you see that? That's very important. Would we call something wickedness? The world says, calls it professional foul. It's not a professional foul, it's just cheating. Although we, we, you know, it's not we're getting drunk, it's we're tipsy. Or it's a tax fiddle. We, we make these little flowery little phrases, don't we? I didn't lie, I just exaggerated. That's what the world does. It softens sin by changing the language. And he is like a laser, but he sniffs it. He says, this is wickedness. Friends, this is why, again, getting into discipling, mentoring relationships is so key. Because we tend to soften s- stuff that we're tempted to do, whereas our loving friend will say, can I be honest with you? What you're doing is stupid. <laughs> what you're thinking about doing potentially is sinful. And we need that. I want to be holy in my life. I really do. He was blunt. And thirdly, he feared God. This wickedness against God. Interesting phrase. You think he might have said against Potiphar. And he does mention actually that element. But the key thing was God is everywhere. This phrase that I've mentioned The Lord was with him. It is a comfort to us when things are tough. It is also a word of sobering caution to us. Don't ever forget. We mustn't forget the Lord is with us. If we struggle in the secret place, you're not alone. And your loving father is also a holy father. He's a holy father. And the way we grow in this, might I just humbly say is this. When you dwell upon the cross... That my sin, Tom Shaw's sin, pinned Christ to that cross. And he was punished because of my horrific sin. When I'm tempted to sin again, do you know, it's like I'm crucifying him again. It's like I'm making a mockery of it. And we just say, Lord, sin is a big deal. And you're watching me. He feared God. He knew God was invisible, but right there. And that's an awesome thing. God wants a people who do well on this. But finally, there's one final test. The test of our reputation. We see it here in verse 19. As soon as his master heard the words that his wife spoke to him, this is the way your servant treated me. His anger was kindled. His, Joseph's master took him and put him into the, the prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. And he was there in prison. But the Lord was with Joseph. 
and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him and whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. He's from, gone from a pit and he's now in prison. This guy, some people, if you might be a non-Christian, you might be thinking, you know, you might be thinking to be a Christian, Tom, does it mean that kind of God sorts my life out and, you know, makes it all good? No. <laughs> At one level, it's amazing because you know God and you're freely forgiven and you will go to heaven, not hell. So it's an amazing, glorious deal. But on this earth, the Bible's so clear. The more you obey God, the harder it can get. That's what happened to him. The more he obeyed God, the harder, the more challenging his life became. We often don't quite compute that. I know I don't. I can be surprised. Think about what's happened here. He's just passed a test that so many people would fail with Potiphar's wife. And yet, what happens next? Yet another test. His reputation is in tatters. She is telling everyone wicked lies. Now, if anyone here, like me, cares about what people think about me, when you really think about this, imagine in this church, have you heard such and such was, he came on to me, and it's the total opposite. I would want to pick up this pedestal. I flipping heck. It would do something in me. To, I need to be vindicated. This is wicked. And what does God allow to happen? Look at this. This is what Terry Vogo says. Full of integrity and resisting sin at great cost, right? Joseph was not carried shoulder high by an exultant crowd, but instead lied, was lied against, ridiculed, and thrown into prison. Honoring God does not always result in being acclaimed by the crowd. Joseph's integrity cost him everything. That's massive, isn't it? Isn't that massive? Artie Kendall says similarly, he says, the most important test a person may have to pass before he is ever greatly used of God is to be punished for well-doing and then to keep quiet about it. He would have, he must have just, it must have just eaten him up. Or it could have done. How did he do it? How, it, I don't know if any of you have ever known people have had lies about you. Maybe in your, in your workplace, you know people really either uh, innocently or deliberately have said things wrong about you or you and your family maybe your family for whatever reason or your friends or your neighbors or your mates at uni knowing people think the wrong thing about you is a huge test it's a huge test and this is the key is that the reason that he was victorious was because Joseph cared more about his reputation in heaven than he did about it on earth. Ultimately, somehow in his soul, and it says in Genesis 49, it says he was a fruitful vine. Images in the Bible are, 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 are very common about Christians and followers of God. I mean, to be those whose, whose roots go deep. When there's a drought, still the roots go deep. When there's a drought because people hate you and they've got the wrong impression of you, still your roots go deep. This is what his secret was. It's the same point yet again. The Lord was with him. The Lord promises that. He never promises 
health, wealth and prosperity. That's a lie. He promises himself. That's the gospel. You don't get necessarily the things you think you want. You get God. And I, I tell you, we, as Christians, there will be tough things. There will be testing. There will be sacrifice. But God promises, I will never leave you. I promise you that. I will never forsake you. I've never promised everything shiny and nice. I've promised you me. And there will come a day when I will renew the heavens and renew the earth and there will be no more tears and there will be no more suffering. There will be no more illness. There will be no more death. There will be celebration on a new epic scale. But before that day, there will be tests. There will be trials. He had it in his soul. And I want to say he is a magnificent example, but he is still nothing compared with one shining man in the Bible called Jesus. Oh, Jesus, if you don't know Jesus, I tell you, Joseph's amazing, but Jesus, he is breathtaking. See, Jesus, he was lied about. He was lied about. He was spat at. He was hated. He was totally misunderstood by, it seems, the majority of people who say crucify him. And he went through it because he loved you so much and he loved me so much. He so passionately wanted to deal with the sin that separates you from your father. He said, I'm prepared to go through it. My reputation is in, is in tatters. You see, Joseph's reputation was never vindicated. He became the boss of Potiphar. Just imagine how weird that would be when you then met Potiphar and his wife. Talk about tense and weird. But he never, never, says he never sought it. He never bothers to try and clear his name. He cares about his reputation in heaven. And I tell you, friends, when that gets in your soul, it changes everything. The idol of approval gets smashed. And it means that more and more, you're freer to go, God, if I get a chance to, to speak the truth, great. But if not, I'm not going to let it become my defining thing. See, the gospel tells us we're not in control anyway. We can't control everyone's opinion. We can't. It also tells us, you know, the gospel tells us we're not very impressive. (laughs) It says you're not that impressive. I love you, Tom, but you're not impressive. So don't don't, try to defend yourself because often it's true. And even when it's not true, big wow. Focus on his perspective. Focus on what he thinks of you and you'll be a fruitful vine. And I'll tell you one final thing is the gospel says you have a new priority now. You are not to live primarily for your reputation. You are to live for the reputation of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, Jesus. That's to be your all-consuming passion. And even though Joseph, he didn't know who Jesus was. He was born way before Jesus. Friends, we live this side of the cross. Isn't it amazing? We can see in Scripture and by the Spirit exactly what God is like. And we now think, frankly, if I'm hated or if I'm despised by my neighbours or whoever... I just care about him. Hallowed be his name. Hallowed be his name. That's my all-consuming, deep soul passion. I just don't care if you don't think highly of me. You might think I'm a weirdo here this morning for getting emotional. I don't care. (laughs) I don't care what you think about me. I want you to love Jesus because he's the true Joseph. He's the one who has flung stars into space and sustains all things by the power of his word. And yet he is here like a loving father. And if you don't know Jesus here today, you're not here by chance. Joseph's life was not chance. It was perfectly orchestrated by the author of authors. And today I want to just finish by saying my heart appealed to you. I led a Romanian girl to the Lord. I think she's here last week. Highlight of my week. 
If you're not a Christian, but you think, I want this. I want to know this father. I want to be someone who can be free from bitterness, because that's what you're saying, Tom. You're saying I can be free from living just for the future. You're saying that the pleasure of knowing God is actually greater than even sexual pleasure. That's what you're saying, Tom. And you're saying that I can be free from caring about my reputation. That's big claim. And I want to say with a wholeheartedness of my heart, (laughs) yes, yes, and amen. Knowing God, that's what you get. Free forgiveness from all your sin and my sin. It was placed on Christ. And when he rose from the dead, it showed the entire cosmos that Jesus Christ was not just a carpenter, but he was fully divine. And his reputation may have been in tatters, but there will be a day when every tongue will confess, you are Lord. And you have a chance today, if you don't know Jesus, of coming into his presence, knowing forgiveness and being reconciled with your father and knowing the kind of care and love that actually God was showing Joseph, although there were these tests.